Good morning. It's Wednesday, October 21st. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. There are 545 children who have still not been reunited with their parents after the Trump administration separated migrant families at the border in 2017 and 2018. That's according to a court filing released last night by the ACLU and the Department of Justice, first reported by NBC News. The fact that this is only coming to light now underscores what NBC lays out as the Trump administration's unwillingness to be upfront about its zero-tolerance policy. The plan was to curb illegal immigration along the southern border by criminally prosecuting all undocumented migrants, despite a long-standing practice of keeping families together. Zero Tolerance officially started in 2018. It was highly controversial. And President Trump rescinded it in June of that year. Later that month, a federal court had ordered the Trump administration to reunite all families affected by the policy. And while most of those children have since been reconnected with their parents, it was later revealed that the administration had begun separating families as early as 2017. That's an additional 1,000-plus parents who were separated from their children. It's from this earlier group that government officials have still been unable to track down parents because many of them had already been deported by the time the court ruled that families needed to be brought back together. The New York Times obtained a draft report by the Department of Justice's inspector general two weeks ago. Now, it contained a memo written by a federal prosecutor in 2017 arguing children under 12 years old should not be separated from their families. But the IG's report goes on to say that memo never made it to Washington and that on a conference call, then-Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein told a group of U.S. attorneys no child was too young to be separated under zero tolerance. As for the 545 children still separated from their families, some are with relatives here in the U.S., others are in foster care. The ACLU tells BuzzFeed News, many were separated in 2017 as babies. They've already spent the majority of their lives without their parents. KQED has been reporting on the effort to find these parents. Just last month, they had a story about what it's like for the network of lawyers and nonprofits who are trying to track down deported parents, physically search for them in Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Mexico, and how the pandemic has added an extra layer of complications. We'll link to their reporting in our show notes page. In the global fight against COVID-19, Sweden is an outlier. From the beginning, it's taken a relaxed approach. Now, eight months into this pandemic, Sweden's death rate is one of the highest in the world per capita. Average daily cases just recently skyrocketed. Sweden's economy is now also suffering. Time magazine takes a close look at the Swedish approach and why it should not be considered a model for other countries. Using a Freedom of Information Law request, a FOIL, Time obtained emails between national and regional government agencies that suggest Sweden's strategy from the very beginning was to achieve herd immunity, essentially allowing enough people to get sick, recover, and develop an immune response to the virus. In those emails, for example, a retired doctor suggests keeping schools open to reach herd immunity faster. But public health experts agree banking on herd immunity is reckless and it could cause preventable death and suffering. 
Sweden never closed schools, restaurants, or bars. It didn't build the testing or contact tracing capabilities of other wealthy European countries. It never required people from hotspots to quarantine. And the country actually recommends not wearing masks. Sweden also created a triage system in hospitals. So if you were older and your prognosis was not good, chances were you were not going to see the inside of an ICU. Whether herd immunity was the goal or byproduct of the Swedish plan, it did not work. And as of August, antibody tests shows herd immunity is nowhere in sight. And health experts say that achieving herd immunity without a vaccine against this virus is extremely unlikely. Instead, the Time reporters write, the Swedish way yielded little but death and misery. So let's turn to Africa and how it's handling the coronavirus. At the start of the pandemic, so many experts were sounding the alarm about the devastating impact COVID-19 would have across the continent. Many warned it could lead to a humanitarian and economic catastrophe. But eight months in, those fears, at least for now, seem not to have come true. The African continent is home to 17% of the world's population, but fewer than 4% of recorded COVID deaths. Compare that with the United States. We have just 4% of the world's population, but more than 20% of confirmed COVID deaths. The British newspaper The Times of London looks into why Africa seems to be more insulated from the pandemic. According to the World Health Organization, there's not yet a scientifically established reason for the low mortality rate in many African countries. But there are theories. For one, Africa's population is very young. Only about 3% of people are older than 65. There are also fewer international airports and weaker infrastructure, which might be working in its favor. With fewer ways to connect countries to one another, it's easier to prevent the virus from spreading. And then there's the continent's history with past epidemics like AIDS and Ebola. Those past crises mean that many African countries already have established pandemic response systems and protocols. Karen Atia, the global opinions editor for The Washington Post, writes about this. And she mentions how Liberia, where nearly 5,000 people died from Ebola six years ago, was one of the first countries to start screening for COVID-19 in airports. Senegal has an aggressive contact tracing system. Rwanda used infrastructure from the HIV-AIDS epidemic. Testing and treatment are free there. Across all of these countries, the number of COVID deaths is extremely low. Senegal has recorded fewer than 400 deaths, Liberia fewer than 90, and Rwanda under 40. A Ugandan epidemiologist told The Times of London, the early warning about the potential for unchecked spread in Africa exposed the rest of the world's unconscious bias against the continent. She says, quote, It didn't matter what we did. The experts said it would end badly for us. But what's happened to us is less terrible than anyone predicted, even if we're not yet out of the woods. A few years back, the New York Times published three videos black-and-white footage taken from the cockpits of American fighter jets in 2004. It's hard to understand exactly what you're looking at, but the conversations between the pilots that you can hear let you know whatever it is, it is totally out of the ordinary. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, thank you. 
Now a new documentary takes a look at the long history of unexplained UFO sightings and close encounters. It's called The Phenomenon. It's directed by longtime UFO enthusiast James Fox. The Guardian has a review of the documentary and explains, based on years of investigation and admissions from the Pentagon, it's not a question of whether UFOs are real, but rather, where are they coming from? The Guardian admits there is a certain breathlessness to the documentary that lends itself to wishful thinking. But this isn't exactly ancient aliens either. Beyond the hype, there is a solid body of testimony. Lots of former military officers and government officials describing similar unexplained events. This documentary isn't asking you to blindly believe. It's saying, look at how many people are seriously trying to get to the bottom of what they say is happening. Just this summer, the Senate Intelligence Committee voted to have the Defense Department and intelligence community provide a public analysis of these unexplained encounters. And soon after, the Pentagon announced it's forming a new task force to investigate UFOs. You know, I saw the documentary and it's easy to make a joke at this point, but you look up in the sky and you wonder, what if? You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.